You're listening to Around Comics, episode 193. Chicago, this is Around Comics, the comic culture podcast, where each week our revolving panel of guests talk about everything in and around the world of comic books and comics culture. And Around Comics is recorded at Dark Tower Comics and Collectibles, located at 4835 Northwestern Avenue in Chicago. If you're in the area, please drop by. And this episode is sponsored by InStockTrades.com, where waiting for the trade has never been easier. InStockTrades.com offers a huge selection of the collected editions you need. InStockTrades is your source for trade paperbacks, deluxe hardcovers, essentials, showcases, archives, absolute editions, omnibus editions, and more, all at great discounted prices. And right now, InStockTrades.com is offering our new Book of the Month selection, Black Hole by Charles Burns, for a fantastic 35% off the cover price. You can pick up the soft cover for $11.67 or the hard cover for a mere $16.22 right now. And remember that all orders over $50 do in fact ship for free. Hey everybody. Hello. Hi. How are you doing? I'm Christopher Neesman. I'm uh, I'm your host today. Let me get you You're introduced to I always the host. <laughs> not just today, host. but not every day. Yeah, everywhere. Oh, not on eleven o'clock. That's that's kinda nice not being the host on that one. You are so. kind of the you still you get the ball rolling all the time. Is that what I don't listen? I, I, I have this I have this need to to drive conversation, and it, it I'm sure it drives Vince nuts. But uh, but I'm usually drunk and cranky. On he's that trying one, to so be set. Like, he's like Mr. Segway. Yeah. I'm gonna like lead into this yeah. part of the conversation. Speaking of, <laughs> yeah. speaking of. Well, let me uh, let me get you introduced, everyone. Uh, first of all, is the man who brings the fun and the edutainment. He is also the host of Tom versus the JLA. He's Mr. Tom Caters. Hello. How you doing, Thank sir? you. Wearing I your want every I want everyone to clap and everyone the golf clap. <laughs> oh, thank you. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I like that. I, I do like that. Yeah. Well, that I didn't plug. I did sort of plug myself. But <laughs> yeah, anything involved with me? Someone plug. Give me money, please. Sporting the uh, sporting the uh, University of Wisconsin shirt today. Exactly. Looks like Wisconsin you, uh, pride. Did you own that exact in shirt college. in college? I've owned this in college, and I've worn it since I'm almost thirty now. So. <laughs> Looks like it. And I graduated college when I was 14, so... <laughs> wow, do you yeah, 16 years, yeah, exactly. I was a doctor for a few years. Next is uh, fellow Chicagoan and uh, one of the co-hosts to the uh, Comic Book Queers podcast. He is Mr. Stevie yeah. D. I don't have another podcast yet, so... You know, everybody's well, doing it. I know. Got to diversify. I feel like I have to have two, maybe four. Uh, five, just to keep up with the Joneses. Mm. Well, there you go. I, I stopped listening. Are. I stopped listening to podcasts. I think I have. <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting that point, actually. I'm sort of done with most of it. And our, our special guest this week is uh, also a, a fellow Chicagoan. Well, former Chicago. Former. Well, you yeah. know, we, we reclaim you a few times a year. So, you know, we, we can uh, we can put dibs on you for, for a couple weeks anyway here. Okay, all right. Uh, you are, um, we'll uh, take it back, though, when you leave. <laughs> <laughs> you hand back the card. But I'll be back. 
uh, renowned uh, uh, amateur and uh, professional filmmaker and uh, former writer for uh, many a classic Marvel What If tale, uh, Mr. Uh, Don Glute. How you doing, sir? I'm doing fine. Good to be here. This is, um, uh, I, I wouldn't call this an interview show, but uh, but we certainly are. Uh, you're going to be the focus of this episode, and uh, we have a lot of questions. Uh, Our laser-like like attention will be focused on you. Are you ready? Dance. Yeah, I'm ready. Ready. We actually uh, <laughs> we, we have uh, we have a lot of questions from uh, from forum posters and uh, listeners that have emailed us. So uh, we should probably just uh, just jump into it. Okay. Right. I, can I start with a question? Yeah, you go for <laughs> it, Tom. Uh, so I, I watched the uh, this, the documentary about your uh, your amateur filmmaking. I was a teenage movie maker, right. and uh, one of the things that struck me was you often hear people say things like, "Oh, I have a great idea." for a movie or I have a great idea for a book but the first thing that always sort of stops them is the actual act of like trying to create it mostly you know I'm thinking in my own head of how people probably think I can't make it look as much as I want it to in my head so that automatically means I can't do it did you not have that at all in your head? I'm real lucky and this is going to sound like I'm bragging I'm not I'm just telling you a fact Uh, almost everything I've ever said and I've been involved in a lot of different things that have nothing to do with each other it seems uh, and I've been I've been interested in a lot of things I had a lot of passions a lot of hobbies and things over the years but everything I've almost everything I've ever set out to do I've done I've done it taken at the beginning to, to the end is you're, you're right a lot of people halfway through will just give up or they won't finish it or they'll write a novel or whatever they'll never get to the end or the middle of the novel or they won't even start and I've never had that problem I think in one one reason for that as I got older was I've never, I very rarely ever had a regular job in my life. It's always been in something I like to do. And uh, the, if I don't get something finished, if I don't start it and get take it through to the end, then I have to start seriously thinking about employment, So I, which is such a horrible thought to me <laughs> that uh, I, I, I do it. And, but you're right. You know, a lot of people can't, and it's, I, I've never understood that because I get so involved in what I'm doing, I just take it through to the end. Well, it seems a lot like... Um, the first biggest barrier is like someone who says I have an idea for a book they don't even start writing the book you know because the idea in their head is grander than what they think they can put on the paper or there's a barrier that first step of like I'm actually going to I'm actually going to do it and uh, I was sort of struck by in the film you know one of the things that I sort of had to keep in mind was the fact that doing these same kind of amateur films is much different today because media is so much easier to manipulate and it's so much more um, accessible. Everyone has cameras pretty much on them constantly. Yeah, I mean, and and thinking about how things at that time when you were making these must have been much more different. Well, when I made those films, those amateur films, um, first of all, there were no books to tell you how to do it. You had to figure it all out yourself as you went along. I would watch a movie in go to the theater and see something or see something on television and say, gee, I wonder how they did that. I didn't know what stop motion was. I never heard of it. Uh, I made a whole slew of stop motion movies before I ever heard of Ray Harryhausen or how those movies were done. I figured if you could make a, one day, I I I really was convinced that movies like King Kong and The Beast from 2000 Fathoms were using robots, actual mechanical, yeah. electronically controlled, cr- and I know I could never afford something like that. <laughs> so what would and be neither could they. <laughs> <laughs> well, I didn't know that then, and, and, and so I figured one day if you could if you could make a, a cartoon using a series of sequential drawings and take a f- one frame of each drawing, 
why couldn't you do the same thing with a model? So I tried it. I, I animated some cooking utensils in my mother's kitchen one day. We had some extra film, and it worked. And I, it was years later. It was, it was, that was in 1958, oh, I think I did that. And um, it was not until 1962 uh, that I found out that Ray Harryhausen was doing movies the same way. And um, also, you know, that was in the day before home video. I, I shot those all on 16-millimeter film. And, you know, you, you didn't know what you got until maybe a week later when it came back from the camera store. And then, you know, that week was, was torture because you didn't know if the film was even going to be exposed. Did you lose anything? Oh, I lost a lot of things. Yeah, a lot of things came out absolutely black. Or, uh, and if film was so costly, you know, I was afraid to edit anything because every time you make a splice, you would lose frames on either side of the film. And I, I you know, I... It cooked me. I mean, I'm trying to raise money to make movies now, but then as a kid, when you're trying to raise ten dollars or something, it was yeah. a big deal. So it was a lot different, and you had to, as I said, you had to figure it out yourself. Yeah. Well, there's uh, yeah, two things. Uh, first of all, you were you were recording 16 millimeter, and 16 millimeter, right. which was kind of a big deal. It's there were people that were recording eight millimeter, but very few people, uh, especially amateurs, recording 16 millimeter. Correct. Right. I I know maybe one or two other people in the world that, that were doing it at the same time I was doing it. And, and then, and then talking about the the editing or the developing process uh, from watching the documentary, you guys actually had some some happy accidents where where things would come back and they would uh, not turn out exactly how you had envisioned them, but it was it was kind of cool and just kind of a by a chance right. happening. I, you know, sometimes the film would jam or something would create some kind of a strange visual effect. And uh, once I had to, I, I had the film jammed in the camera and I had to open the camera under a blanket out in the middle of Griffith Park. Some light got in and created a a flare, uh, a light flare, uh, just at a shot where Captain America was firing a ray gun. And it looked on the film like he, he it was a special effect. And uh, I got compliments in my in my school class for that. Because, of course, you meant to do that. I told him yeah. I meant to do it. <laughs> then, then, uh, this teacher applauded me for taking a risk, because this is in the days of underarm movies and all these avant-garde things and everything, and, and people were taking chances. And they, oh, that was really that. You risked that, doing that, you know. And then later on, we we painted the uh, Bob Burns painted little um, dots on the the negative. We shot that on negative film, so when it printed, you actually we enhanced that flare with an actual ray that sh shot out of the ray gun, and that looked that looked pretty good. Yeah. Well, talking about your your early your early films, uh, it seemed like whenever you first started, and, and you were held whenever you, you made your first. I was nine movie? years old. Okay, I shot my first movie in my mother's backyard, and, and a lot of those were uh, like Universal Monster inspired, and and, and that kind of stuff. You did a lot of like, you know, yeah. Wolfman. The, and, the first and one was a dinosaur film, and then I made I made some uh, I made another dinosaur film after that, and then I made a bunch of Universal Frankenstein, Dracula, Wolfman movies. When, when did you start moving into the the comic book theme movies? Uh, the comic book things. There was a there was a period I I was at the World Science Fiction Convention in Chicago in 1962, and uh, I ran into a, I met a guy named Larry Ivy who maybe some of you know he published he worked for Castle of Frankenstein magazine at the time but he was also a comic book artist uh, book artist uh, doing some of the Edgar Rice Burroughs books and things, and he was making superhero films while I was still making the monster films and I was so impressed by them I decided to try my hand at it myself and there was a period there too in the 60s when uh, early 1960s where I kind of moved away I, I maybe I overdosed or something on the dinosaurs and the universal type monsters and I moved into the new era I was really getting the movie serials republic serials and things and I wanted to do those things uh, flying characters explosions fight scenes gun battles that Spider-Man in a forest Spider-Man in the forest <laughs> yeah, yeah. his natural habitat yeah, well 
you kind of you, you kind of shot what you had to do with what yeah. you got. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, us as as Chicagoans, um, it, it's it's very interesting to me to think about some of the locations that you shot here in in Chicago, and uh, there are places that I drive by all the time. You know, different cemeteries, and you shot in a Lincoln Park Zoo. There's places where you've dressed up like a wolf man for fun and oh, yeah. gone to just on. What do you think <laughs> I do on Saturday <laughs> night? <laughs> Friday nights is the, is, is the pos- like Frankenstein. Yeah. <laughs> Saturday night is cosplay night. Um, <laughs> what? You're a furry? <laughs> <laughs> Frankenstein. The Franken furry? Franken furry. What were some of the uh, the other locations in Chicago and why did you pick those locations? Well, I shot, you know, I, I basically shot with what was available. And besides my mother's backyard, our alley, our basement, and places like that there was a the local cemetery uh, down the street for me and now i don't know what it was called then now it's called jewish graceland cemetery it's a very old cemetery there's about there's at least 13 or 14 frankensteins buried there which made it kind of cool and um it just looked like an eerie place so we shot there and it was close by uh, we shot in schiller schiller woods we shot at um the adler planetarium on the steps there that because that and these things just gave me production value as a kid that other kids shooting and making their movies in the backyard in the suburbs couldn't do. We went to Palwaukee Airport once, and I spent the whole day getting airplane footage. Um, Did you get permission at any of these places? Or no. Were in fact, in fact we got thrown out of Shiller Woods once. There was a, um, a, we were out there, and this is, I was about 19, 20 years old already, and um, we were out there, a couple of friends, and we are all about the same age, looking kind of menacing, and we had uh, all these props. We had machine guns, hand grenades <laughs> and things, okay. shooting the, the spirit movie, actually. And, oh, that's cool. and we saw people starting to move out of the forest preserve and finally why is everybody leaving here you know we're just shooting this film and suddenly a guy in a uniform and a gun came up with a couple other people and he was some kind of a forest ranger or something and it turned out that a week before people uh, uh, there there was a series of holdups of vendors you know hot dog salesmen and things in the forest preserve by guys wearing long coats like we were in guns (laughs) and we got we, we were told never to come back did and you ask him if you wanted to uh, to play a part before no, you? No, I didn't. I, I did steal some shots of a soldier for the same movie, though. Um, I went. We went down to um, there was an army base or something near Lake Michigan, and I, I just waited till I, there was a soldier walking by, and I put the camera up on the tripod, and I had him walk by, and then I stopped the film. I had him completely walk by. Then I, I resumed shooting, and and then when the um, uh, film was developed, it looked like he disappeared. Then we enhanced it. I, I took a, a pin, a needle, or a safety pin and I scratched the film so it looked like a ray was coming down and zapping him and suddenly <laughs> nice. walked by and suddenly this guy in a uniform which was some production value got disintegrated so um, and before that we put in a shot of a giant robot <laughs> with, the, with the ray shooting out of its eyes there's a very Ed Wood feel to, to a lot of the stuff that, that you did. were you a, an Ed Wood fan it's no I, I as a kid I didn't know who he was and I hated his <laughs> movies I just to me they were just you know worthless movies I mean he, yeah. he wasn't an icon back then like okay. he is today and uh, I was hoping my movies were better than Ed Wood's back then um, but he had sound and he had you know Tor Johnson and I didn't have those things but I had color and um you know, uh, well, I don't think and I didn't get mine released at that time either. Yeah, I don't think it was from a lack of ingenuity. I think it was a uh, you know right place, right time because you you look at, at stuff that Ed Wood was doing and the stuff that you were doing on, on really no budget or almost uh, almost no budget, and the production qualities seemed to be very similar. And, and you you were doing things that were that were pretty you know groundbreaking for amateur filmmaking at yeah. the time. Yeah, pretty much our budgets back there were, went to the film. The, f- the film that you ran through the camera and the processing, that was what most of the 
the, the budget, where most of the budget went. And then, of course, if you bought a model or something, a model kit or something that you needed for a prop or a gun or something like that, a lot of stuff was just things I happened to have on hand or borrowed from people. We borrowed a bunch of real guns, for one. We had a uncle who... Uh, Let's go to the park, guys. I got the guns. <laughs> we had a friend who was a Chicago <laughs> cop. It's remember your Summerdale police station? nights before your time. That was a, one of the a very crooked... Uh, that's a, well, we won't get into that. <laughs> he brought over two thirty-eight revolvers, and I bought a box of... of um, uh, I forgot, 25 blanks, I think it was. Full load blanks. Not the kind you see in movies with the smoke, but the loud, the ones yeah. that... You know, blow plaster off walls and things that you can kill yourself with and, and we shot a gun battle in my garage with these real guns and <laughs> and my <laughs> uncle my uncle was in the had his car parked outside the garage making it backfire so if anybody walked by and they heard these noises they would know what it was and I mean so we took some real chances we would jump jump out of moving cars and, and uh, I mean, I th you don't think about harm you think you're made out of rubber and you're going to live forever in oh, those, sure, those yeah. days you know jumping off roofs and and we did all these crazy things, and um, without ever thinking about it, blowing things up, but blowing miniature buildings, or taking plastic bags, filling them up with gasoline, and then <laughs> blowing up with, up with, with cherry bombs, lit with a fuse, you know, and uh, with my one guy standing off camera with a with a, a fire extinguisher that I smuggled out of my apartment building. I mean, we did we, did, we took some real chances back then, but you know. a bag filled with gasoline. Now you, now you. <laughs> It's all with CGI. No one thinks it was uh, GAS, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see George Lucas use a bag of gasoline. <laughs> well, you, you, you had and still have a, a mother that was very supportive of your creative endeavors whenever you were growing up. What was the, what was it, from, from her perspective, now looking back on it, what do you think she was thinking this entire time? Well, she, my mother, bless her heart, she, she shot most of the early films, but as I got older and started shooting them myself or getting friends to use work the camera, she really didn't know what we were doing. She didn't know you were coming out of cars. She didn't, she didn't know. know about the bags of gas. <laughs> she, when, when my mother was shooting, she had certain uh, restrictions. She wouldn't let us, because she's very religious, we couldn't use crosses for the vampire films. So we had to do the Peter Cushing thing, where you take two candlesticks or two sticks, uh, we couldn't use knives. She had this phobia about knives. Um, but when I started making my own films, then we, you know, we, we went every, everything everywhere. Hit the fan, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, and we did whatever we wanted. So she didn't know about a lot of these things. And she, you know, we used to blow up things in the basement, uh, volcanoes and castles and things. Um, and she didn't know it. Any of this was going on, really. And uh, when I moved out to California, of course, she she wasn't there. So we, I got away with a lot more in California, <laughs> Chicago, <laughs> when she was shooting them. Now the real reason why you moved to, to California. Did she right? ever see it and ask you why you jumped out of a moving car, or did you? Well, I don't think she really under knew that we were jumping out of a moving car. She thought it was just she yeah, it was she didn't think much it was in a movie. You know, it's <laughs> all Hollywood make believe, and uh, we. I remember jumping out of a car once where. Um, I was driving the car, <laughs> and it, we were doing a car chase, and the idea was the villain was, I was Spy Smasher, a superhero, yeah. and, and the villain, the purple monster, threw a hand grenade on the road, and I spot the hand grenade, and I jump out of the car, and I had one guy in the back seat with the camera, one guy in the, the shotgun seat next to me, and I was driving the car, so the guy in the back seat was shooting me driving the car, and then I reacted, and I, and I jumped out of the car, <laughs> The guy who was sitting next to me, off camera, I mean, we didn't have time for a second take, so I'm glad he didn't yeah. accidentally get in the camera. <laughs> yeah. He grabbed the wheel, and the guy in the back seat just panned around and followed me out through the back window, rolling into the underbrush. 
we just did it. I mean, that's the way you had to you had to do it. You know, we couldn't afford a dummy or anything, and so we did. That's it. Awesome, there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no way to go. Yeah. Well, you moved into into a lot of the the superhero comics, Spy Smasher and uh, Captain America, Captain Marvel, Superman, Spider Man. It was it was a huge list of of iconic characters that are still around to these to this day. Um, when did you when did you become a comic book fan? You know what what kind of influence did that have on you at at, at what you know well, early age? I was always I always loved comic books as a kid. I always, I loved Superman. I loved Tarzan, the, the Jesse Marsh Tarzan. I loved. Tor, Tor was my favorite comic of all time. I'm glad there's a new series just came out, I, which I was sitting right here next to me right now. You should have seen him whenever he walked inside. <laughs> Are these new? Yeah. Like, you joke, Hubert. Yeah, yeah it's still right. joke, Hubert. But there was there was a time when I got out of comics. I got I just outgrew them. I got getting into rock and roll and Elvis and all these other things. And I'm I was yeah, and I was sick one day and um, my mother went to the store to buy some medicine or something and she picked up. Uh, I guess it was a brave and bold one of the I think the second or third tryout issue of Green Lantern and she brought here she might want to read this and I'd never because at that time the only comic book superheroes I was really familiar with were Superman and all the ones that were still around Green Arrow and those um, the Blue Beetle and um, I had some vague memory of Captain Marvel but I'd never seen anything else really and here suddenly was this with the Gil Kane artwork and everything the flying poses were completely different than all the, the Superman poses um, no cape I mean it, a mask that didn't have a string on it all these things were very intriguing to me and I read it and then in the, I think in the back I saw this ad for the Ju- Justice League tryout I, yeah. you know Martian Manhunter you know meeting Wonder Woman and all this so anyway that's what kind of brought me back and um, it took me a long time to get the gumption to make a superhero film, though, because I didn't want to wear the tights. <laughs> I thought that was, you know, being a, be a sissy and people would laugh. So I tried to do superheroes you could see from the waist up only or <laughs> characters that didn't have, that had baggy pants, you know. So it took me a while to get the gumption up to Say, actually All right, whatever, wear I'm wearing it. <laughs> yeah. right, so putting it on. And also the special effects, you know, how you're going to make them fly and all these other things. And, um and then when I saw Larry Ivy's movies, they were so impressive to me. Uh, I said, well, "I got to try something like that." Of all the superhero, uh, of all the superhero movies you made, which one stands out to you as the one that you like the most? Probably. Well, it's hard to say. Um, I did a real short one called Rocket Man Flies Again, which is real nice. Uh, John Millius, the director of Conan the Barbarian, said that was the best amateur film I ever made. It's short. It's only about two and a half minutes long, but it's it just never stops. And we got the actual Rocket Man helmet from the old Republic serials yeah. in there. Oh, wow. Nice. And so that was nice. And um, so that might be, the I think that might be the tightest, the best uh, all around, even though there are other movies that have more plot, more special effects, uh, longer, you know, greater length and everything. And uh, we're going to run this, by the way, uh, in November at the uh, Portage Theater. We're going to run my latest real movie, Blood Scarab, yeah. my first real movie, which is Dinosaur Valley Girls, and two, maybe three of the old amateur films. Rocket Man Flies Again, Spy Smasher vs. the Pop- Purple Monster, and possibly Spider-Man, if, the, if time permits. So... Um, Nice. I, that's going to be the night after mm. Thanksgiving. And you'll be doing a Q&A session afterward? Yes. Yes. Nice. This is Rick Remender. This is Tony Moore. And you're listening to Around Comics, and you should be reading Beer Agent. Talking about superheroes, you know, you, you, you obviously did the, the amateur movie work, and, and you were you know, going to USC, correct, for, for yes. film school. Yes. Um, 
but we as comic fans know you primarily because your work on on What If. Um, how how did you make the transition from from working in movies and and end up working uh, for Marvel? Well, actually, I w I'd done comics before Marvel. Uh, I did a lot of stuff for um, Warren, mm -hmm. and I'd done a lot of stuff for Gold Key, and I was doing on and off things for you know Charlton and DC and whatever. I was I was doing some. Fill-in issues at Marvel. Uh, the first one was a Ghost Rider comic book that I scripted for um, Jerry Conway. Mm -hmm. And then Roy uh, Thomas, when he moved out to California, he was getting more and more involved in movies and just socializing and things. And, and you know, he would he would get these books started, and then he maybe write a few issues, and then he would move on. You know, he didn't have time to write them, and I could write in the style Roy wanted. And he knew I had a good sense of history for these things, and so um, he said he had this idea for what if. He said it was, you know, sort of like the imaginary stories, but they weren't going to be imaginary stories, and if I wanted to, to do them. And I did a lot of those. I did quite a few of those what if stories. How did you, you meet Roy Thomas? Roy Thomas I met in, uh, right here in Chicago, actually. We had a group here before I moved to California that started running, running, renting Republic cereals and running them in basements of schools and libraries and things. And Roy Thomas came out for one of them, and we met. And we went over to my house. He looked at my old comic book collection, and we, be we were, became friends. Then he became a professional after a while. And like all professionals do, they hire their friends, you know, and uh, nepotism. Yeah. And um, Danny O'Neill. It's not <laughs> what you know. It's not even who you know. It's who knows you. That's mm -hmm. the, the way the world goes around. And um, so a lot of times Roy would have me do fill-in things. And then after a while, I would take over the whole book. That happened with the Invaders. And uh, what if I wasn't writing every issue? There were people in New York mm -hmm. and other people writing them. But... Um, Invaders, I, I that that became my book. Hull became my book after a while. Captain America for a while. Now, Did you, you ever ask Roy Thomas to jump out of a moving car? <laughs> no, but uh, I could tell you some other people I'd like to push out of a moving car. <laughs> uh, but, yeah. but Roy made amateur films too. He didn't make a whole lot. He made yeah. one. Or, I think he made one. It was called really? Lay Ghouls, which is the title was a takeoff on Lay Girls, which was a famous yeah. uh, movie. Lay Ghouls. Yeah, and uh, it was a you know another Frankenstein type movie. Roy and I have similar backgrounds in some respects you know we both made amateur films we both played in rock and roll bands and things like that both midwestern guys He's yeah a, yeah a, a missouri but i am much taller <laughs> but he got all over he's much older <laughs> <laughs> we actually we talked to uh to roy last uh december and i think that was a, a highlight for both of us he's 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 an interesting yeah. character i think he, he talks a little faster than me too oh he's got lots of ideas too he was, yeah it was a he, lot of fun yeah you get once you get him rolling <laughs> <laughs> well, um, uh, you, you're doing you're doing work at uh, at Marvel, and, and we talked about Roy. What, what was he like as an editor to work with? Did he did he really just kind of you know throw stuff your way and just let you run with yeah, it? Yeah, Roy. I got to give Roy a lot of credit. Roy um, let me get away with a lot of things. He didn't do a whole lot of editing on my stuff. He, when I first started, I, I you know Marvel the Marvel writing style, as you probably all know, they do the artwork first, and you uh, write the script over the art. And it took me a little while to to get um, a knack for placing the balloons correctly and not blotting out important things and all that. And uh, once I got the hang of that, everything was fine. Uh, he did very very little editing on, on anything I wrote. 
to my knowledge, right? I don't recall him doing <laughs> anything like, much. Wait a second, let me think back on that. <laughs> now, the, the, um, uh, starting out with the, with Marvel style. Now, you worked for other companies, Golkey and Warren, Charlton. Uh, what was the what was the writing style? At that was it full script? Oh, they were all different. Uh, at, at Warren, yeah, when we I, when I was doing Creepy and Eerie and Vampirella, and they were only paying twenty five dollars per script finished. You couldn't submit like an idea or a plot. You submitted a full script, and then and, they could take it or not. Yeah, and if he didn't take it, you were out twenty-five big dollars and about an hour and a half of your life type time it took to write the script. Um, at Gold Key, it was a whole different story. At Gold Key, uh, you had to actually take a piece of, pa of the paper, uh, typing paper, and rule off the panels with a ruler, and you couldn't fit anything in that panel. That didn't fit in that, that, any texture that didn't fit in that space, and they had they had styles. They would give you a style sheet. This is the these are the panel panel arrangement for this this book, and you can't deviate from that. And uh, so it was very restrictive at Gold Key. Wow. Other places like um, you know DC at that time, you just wrote a script. It was kind of like a movie script in some ways. Um, same with Charlton. Same with Skywald, the Red Circle, but. Marvel had their specific style at the time, which was artwork first. Golkey had the where you lined off the paper, and then Warren, you had to write the full script before you even, uh, you know, submitted it. It had to be completely written. And I think I got the format from that out of one of those old Writer's Digest books that they used to publish. And there was somebody in there who was ta telling about, from the 1940s, I guess it was, how to write a comic book script, and I just used that as a template. Yes. Uh, what was your favorite out of all those out of all those different uh, styles? Well, I liked uh, probably the Marvel style because it was it w required the least amount of work. Yeah. You know, you, got <laughs> you didn't have to actually sit down and physically plot it. But with Gold Key, I had a lot more control, and I learned a lot about uh, plotting probably more than any from anyone else from Russ Manning, who was doing Tarzan. I was working on Tarzan with Russ, and he was telling me about you never end uh, should never end a page with a panel that isn't a scene change or some kind of a crisis or something because you want the reader to turn the page. And I, so I, I learned things like that from Russ. Mm -hmm. And from that point on, all the scripts I wrote, I tried, I tried to um, plot using Russ's, uh, Russ's uh, idea. And I remember at Gold Key, I tried using that, uh, uh, that idea, uh, that technique. And sometimes they would, well, this panel here doesn't, for her to the action, they would cut it out, and suddenly everything would be one panel up, and it would just drive me crazy. <laughs> yeah. And I couldn't understand why I wanted that panel to be the last panel yeah. on that page. I can't imagine. I, I know that probably still happens to this day, but I, I can't imagine that. It's uh, the the writing and art process. I think has changed a lot over the years. Yeah. Uh, cut off this panel. Yeah. Like, what? <laughs> no. <laughs> I don't know. Sometimes you read something and you wonder if they cut out a panel. Does this make any sense? <laughs> yeah. Well, we do have uh, we have a few questions yeah. from uh, from uh, forum members. Um, this is from uh, from Josh Shep, and uh, says, uh, uh, "Mr. Glutes, what if number nine was used as the basis for the recent Agents of Atlas miniseries? Was it uh, his idea to put that team together in that issue, or was it handed down from editorial? Also, how does he feel about various people cataloging these alternate what if universes uh, as currently existing parallel universes to the?" main Marvel Universe? And he said, that's a pretty geeky question. I'll understand well, the last part of that question is going to sound, you know, just, it's not like I'm being a wise guy here, but I really don't care. I mean, uh, <laughs> you're not, you're not worked yeah, up about When it. we wrote those, the understanding was these were like parallel worlds going on. That they, yeah. they weren't, they weren't imaginary stories. They were stories that were taking place in some other, you know, yeah. where something else changed, you know, and yeah. uh, changed everything. And um, a choice of some sort. Um, 
the way that particular what if came about, and I, I got to tell you, that was one of the most fun comic book stories I ever wrote. Agents of Roy, yeah, Roy Thomas yeah, and I, who both grew up in the fifties. Uh, Roy starting out a little bit before me because he's much older than me. No, he's, 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 he's a few, a few years. Uh, yeah, he's a, he's a few years older than me and much shorter. Yeah, and. Uh, <laughs> and much wealthier too, but um, Roy said, "Hey, how he had this idea to do uh, a what if story about the Avengers. If the Avengers had gotten together in the fifties, he only wanted to use characters though that had parallel equivalents in the current Avengers series. So, you know, which was kind of tough to do. I I I, I wanted to use Captain America, the fifties Captain America, mm -hmm. Human Torch, and Submariner, and for reasons I don't remember." He said I couldn't use those. I was able to get Namora, I think. He gave you 3D Man. Yeah, I got 3D <laughs> Man. I got, and so I was, but he didn't know what characters to use. You, you find some. <laughs> so, <laughs> I can't knew, use these, but yeah. you have to go find some. I knew, but I knew about Marvel Boy because I had some of those, yeah. and I had, I had a bunch of old horror comics and things. So I just went looking through those to find any character that could conceivably. Use, I found a, a story about this gorilla man, a guy who turned into a gorilla. Gorilla and man, like his favorite punish. one. Yeah, so I, there was gorilla man. There was I found this human robot thing, and um, there was another one. Uh, Venus was a character I was familiar with. Uh, let's see who else was in there. Oh, uh, the, the the villain to me had to be the Yellow Claw, yeah. who was a great villain from the 1950s. So I brought in the Yellow Claw, and then I threw in a lot of um, uh, references to uh, 1950s. TV shows and movies. There's yeah. a scene where Eisenhower is being sucked into a sand dune while playing golf. That's from <laughs> Invaders from <laughs> Mars. There was a scene where the robot, human robot, is saying, "I must, but I cannot." That's from Robot Monster. So I took all these old cliches and things that I thought fans might remember and respond yeah. to, and threw them into the story. The um, I had the motorcycle gang from the Wild One. Uh, I changed the name, of course, but yeah, um, yeah I, it was yeah. it was it was it was a fun story to do. Yeah. But I wish I could have put Cap in there. And, and well, there's this the scene where Gorilla Man throws the bag of gasoline. Yeah, those villains he brings back, Skullface, and those yeah. at the end. Yeah. Those are characters I just happened to find in the existing comic books I had in my collection. Skullface was in a pre-code horror comic. Um, uh, I think Electro, or what his name was, was from Captain America, and uh, but so those are characters I actually found. And, so and some of them, like uh, the Cold Warrior, I think was that the Cold Warrior. Cold Warrior. Yeah, yeah. he was from uh, one of the uh, 3D Man stories. Now, are, are you uh, were you aware of Agents of Atlas, this this new series that I, put out? I was aware of it when I walked into a comic book store in Burbank, California, and somebody said, "Hey, look at this." And I said, oop, they owe me reprint rights again. <laughs> <laughs> but I, you know, when I wrote that story, I had grand visions at the time. This is when I was making my, my whole, my main career was writing comics uh -huh. at that time. This is before I really got into animation, uh, before I really got, before I started making movies, before I started doing voiceover work, all these other things to avoid getting a real job. I wanted, I was hoping that that would pick, take off at the time and start a series. And, um, That's too. And, but nobody, you know, <laughs> it was ahead of its time. And uh, it just never took off at that time, to my knowledge. Yeah, we wish Agents of Atlas was an ongoing. Now it was <laughs> one of my one of my favorite uh, favorite series from the last mm -hmm. couple of years. It's the the characters are so fun because they're they're really so different than a lot of the characters that that we see out there today. Mm -hmm. So uh, yeah, it was it was a fun series for me to to read. Have you have you actually have you looked at the at the new series? Oh yeah, I have that. Yeah, it, it's absolutely gorgeous, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. Is um, it Winter Kirkgar? Take this book. <laughs> now, um, what, looking at the art in there, I, I, I love when 
Maynard Kirk's work on Agents of Atlas, and you know, um, I'll have to uh, see some of the artists that you worked with. But did you ever have that kind of uh, that kind of call to say, "Hey, I'd, I'd like to work with this artist"? Or um, I know a lot of writers today will prefer to team up or get paired up with certain artists. Did that ever matter to you? I did you ever seek out certain guys? The artists that I really would have liked to work with back then just were unavailable. Joe Kubert would have been, you know, I mean, yeah. he's like was like my idol. Um, I uh, would love to have worked with, probably with Steve Ditko, even though I wasn't a big Steve Ditko fan at the time, like I am now. Yeah. Um, Dick Briefer, who did the Frankenstein comics for Prize back in the 1940s and early 50s, I, w I almost got to work with him. Uh, it just didn't work out when he found out what the rates were. You know, uh, we were going to work on, uh, we were going to bring Frankenstein back, the, the funny character, yeah. in, for the, a comic that Marvel was putting out called, um, what was their mad parody? Uh, 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 it was cracked or crazy. No, it was it was no. done in the seventies. Uh, Not brand. No, it was a one name title. I did one story for them. Uh, plop, plop was. No, DC that was DC. God, I can't. Remember. Vince B would know. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> He's no, right not yeah. was it not brand? Was it not brand? No, it wasn't no. not brand. Well, anyway, whatever Back. it was. Um, so you know, I got to work with some artists. Uh, Russ Manning was one. I, I really nice. was a good friend of Russ's. I, I was glad I got to work with Russ. Um, uh, I, well, Steve Ditko and I did a couple stories for Charlton together. That's so. I, I, I we, we did that, work together. Uh, that's awesome. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Neil Adams, uh, the, one of the first comic book stories I ever did. Neil Adams did, and I was just whoa, Neil Adams. And uh, Reed Crandall, that was another one in first issue of Vampirella. I said, Reed Crandall's doing my stories, and that's when I was still more of a fan than a professional. He's so like, oh my it god. Was, yeah, <laughs> it was a big, it was a big thrill for me. I hope, I hope it turns out okay. But Joe, <laughs> yeah, I, reading I would love to be writing this tour book. You know? <laughs> but it's it's great that Joe's doing it. I'm I'm so I'm, I'm oh, glad he's he's still got it too, yeah. man. Yeah, he 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 can still do it. Um, uh, tour is my all time favorite comic book ever. I was really? just reading yeah. some uh, Joe Kubert uh, Tarzan books, the DC ones, right when DC started publishing it. Yeah. And I had picked up the first issue of this, and I was like, I'm like, man, it's uh, you can tell it's this, you know, like he still got the same like sensibilities, and it's like, wow, I mean, he's as sharp as. as yeah, he really like, is. Like artistically as he was back then. Oh yeah. I was like wow, this is it's really weird to. See someone with that. We've well, done know, the uh, the Sergeant Rock stuff, but last yeah. year, two years ago, and yeah, that looked gorgeous. Too, yeah. Well, here's a question from uh, from Chad. He says, "Was there ever a what if idea that editors thought was too far across the bounds of decency, too silly, too hokey?" Decency? No. The the one I wanted to do that I, I actually submitted to Jim Shooter was I wanted to do. Um, it was basically uh, it's a wonderful life with the thing. Oh. What if the thing, you know, he, he's so miserable, you know, he can't, you know, uh, he can't, uh, maybe Alicia got her sight, but I can't remember what the reason was, but he finally realized, you know, he's on a bridge, he's, uh, I just wish I'd never become the thing, and then the, the angel, whoever it is, or the watcher appears, and he <laughs> takes him through all the things that, uh, no pun intended, all the incidents that, that had he not been there, there would have been disasters, and then he realizes that he would like to have been the thing, uh, he should have been the thing, and that was his destiny, yeah. you know, I think that's the only one they ever really. Uh, I had a hard time pushing in. What if um, the world knew Daredevil was blind? Because Roy didn't think there was enough. It, it wasn't punchy enough. Um, was there enough of a hook? That's yeah, a good yeah, one. yeah, that's yeah. yeah. Uh, that's one of my. Wonder, why did they not want to do the thing one? Was there? Well, I think it was just Jim Shooter when he came in and cleaned the house, which is yeah. basically getting us rid of all of us on the West Coast. It was a West Coast idea, ah. you know. And the only thing I was ever able to get through when once he took over the reins was the Doctor Doom thing. Uh, where, what if Doctor Doom had been a hero? 
That was the only. That was it. You know, I was actually going to ask you that. You you were working on the on the West Coast, which yeah. at that time, you know, Marvel had, uh, it was all about the bullpen yeah. up into that. And I, w- I was at the San Diego Comic Book Convention when see Roy was wanting to do less and less work for Marvel because he was, you know, he was doing the Hollywood thing, and I was at the comic book convention and I heard John Byrne having a conversation with somebody else, and as I walked by, he says, "Yeah, well, Shooter's going to do a lot of house cleaning. Get re- he's going to just get rid of the West Coast." And all of us, uh, we were, a lot of us were out there getting work. Rick Holberg, um, you know, just a lot of us. And uh, so we were literally forced to get a new source of income. And since we were out there in Hollywood, we, we, the natural thing was to gravitate towards the uh, animation business. Mm-hmm. And we, we, since we were trained through comic books to think visually and, and fast mm-hmm. we just we just we just gravitated towards that and we, we fit right in so in some ways Jim Shooter was a blessing in disguise because by leaving, yeah because <laughs> Jim Shooter canned us all basically and uh, suddenly we were in a much more lucrative yeah and we were getting you know if you, if, if you didn't work that we could collect unemployment you know all you're getting yeah. all these benefits health benefits and things and and luckily uh, my animation work got me uh, got my first gig as a movie director because when you're when you're writing a script for say a, a half hour television show a live action show the script might be 20 pages long because it's up to the director to break it down break it down into cuts camera angles and all that sort of thing when you're doing an animation script there is no director except for voiceovers so your script goes directly to the storyboard people and they draw it out and then the animators just go from the storyboard so the writer directs the script on paper every cut every camera angle every change is in the script so instead of a 20 page script you might have a 65 page script mm-hmm. so i the directing movies for me was easy i mean i learned <laughs> i learned how to you did it, yeah. yeah i learned for comics with the logical stuff going from comics to animation and there to, to live action direction well, was it ever a consideration by you or any of the other west coast folks to say oh, okay well um, maybe i'll just move to new york and keep writing comics or no i did i never i wanted to make movies that's what okay. i wanted to do since i was yeah. nine years old so to me uh, I, I moved to california for you're like reason. a lot of comic book writers today <laughs> oh well um, <laughs> yeah. i i moved out to um I moved out to uh, California for several reasons. Two of which was one, I I wanted to get in the movie business, and one I, one reason was I thought I would do that was going to film school, and second I was out there for vacation once, and I never saw so many pretty girls in my yeah. life <laughs> as I did in that month in that month and a half I was in in California, and uh, I said that's where I want to be. I remember going to dances here in Chicago, and there'd be one semi-attractive girl there. All the, all of us were fighting to get yeah. dance with her to meet. <laughs> You know, and then you go to a party or something in California, and everybody's a ten. You know, so I mean, th- that was it for me. I never wanted to live in the yeah. world. Yeah. We've got uh, this is this is one of your biggest fans, by the way, who has sent this uh, size. Or <laughs> he's five hundred pounds. <laughs> yes, and he has a huge, but he, it, it's the size of his heart. This is, uh, this <laughs> he is has a four hundred fifty <laughs> pound <laughs> heart. Yeah. Yeah. We should answer this as quickly as possible. The heart only pumps blood. Remember that. <laughs> this is uh, this is from our good buddy and uh, and my co-host on Eleven O'clock Comics, Mr. Uh, Vince B. And uh, he asks, Are the new Adventures of Frankenstein books ever going to be brought back into print in collected book form editions? I own the Tome series released by uh, was it uh, uh, Drug Tennis? Yes, but uh, millions of typos, which I don't take responsibility <laughs> for. I'm sorry, but he says he would he would love to have those as uh, books. Well, I I have a possible publisher in mind, but I want to let Dennis 
you know, I'm, I'm good friends with Dennis, and I feel it was my responsibility for to let him get his money. You know, he put a lot of money in putting those out, so I want to let him get his investment back as much as he can. Right now, i got enough other things on the plate that, you know, I might as well wait for a while. But I would like to see those out in book form. Okay. Um, this one is from uh, from David Price, and uh, and I think we kind of already touched on it. Um, David Price is the name, by the way, of my music partner that we do our teenage movie maker music with. He played the lead guitar, David Price. Hmm. Not the same David Price, though. It could be. He you never be a Marvel know. Comics fan years ago. Okay. Well, this one still is a Marvel Comics <laughs> fan. Uh, different David Price. Uh, <laughs> first of all, he <laughs> first of all he thanks you for uh, for the wonderful wonderful stories. He loves the early uh, what if stories oh, and. Um, basically, his question is, uh, what was the difference between working for Jim Shooter as opposed to uh, Archie Goodwin or, uh, or Roy Thomas? Well, the difference between working for Jim Shooter is I only got one assignment out of Jim Shooter. <laughs> 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 yeah, and, that, and that one went on for hours and hours of phone conversations about changes, and that was the Dr. Doom what-if story. Um, Roy Thomas, I already mentioned what it was like working for Roy, uh, and Roy and I used to hang out around a lot. And we we were both married. Well, he still is married. Uh, no, he wasn't married yet at the time. But what we, you know, my my then future ex-wife and I, and Roy and his <laughs> future current wife, I guess we used to, you know, double date and things a lot and socialize Danny? a lot. Dan, yeah, yeah. yeah who's who's Danette back then? And um, uh, Daniel Lee was. I just. You know, so they gave him some scripts and he bought them. You know, I don't think he really changed anything. So Denny was a really easy guy to work with. Um, I, I can't say, you know, Shooter was kind of a problem. Uh, another great editor to work for was uh, Gray Morrow over at uh, Red Circle. And he was a real, when he died, I was real, everybody was real down about that. He was really, really a great human being. And so was Russ Manning. Russ, I learned a lot about writing comics from Russ. Um, a tremendous amount from Russ. So everybody, everybody was different. But I like working for Denny O'Neill. Okay, huh. good enough answer for me. Absolutely. Um, here, this will take things in a little bit of a of a different uh, of a different path. This is from Lenny, and he Lenny said, from "Mice and Men." <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Oh, come on, George. <laughs> it's a very long, drawn-out <laughs> question. It's uh, Lynn Diggity from uh, from the forum. He says, uh, uh, "How did he get the job creating some of the Masters of the Universe characters and uh, backstory that were needed for the toys and then used for the TV show? Was he one of the original creators, or was there a strike or firing that brought him in?" Well, <laughs> Jim yeah. Shooter was in charge of that. Yeah. <laughs> the Masters of the Universe. Um, well, I, I was doing a lot of stuff for Gold Key Comics, which was a part of Western Publishing Company. And Western Publishing Company had a deal with Mattel Toys, Disney, and a bunch of other companies. And uh, I got a call one day from the people. They were trying to get me as much work as possible because there weren't enough comics to be done to really make a living. So they were always giving me these other gigs to do other things, big little books and all, you know, all kinds of stuff. And uh, he said, they're doing this thing called the Masters of the Universe, and would I like to write some of these little booklets? And uh, I said, sure. And um, the money was good. And uh, I got Alfredo Alcala in as, uh, as the artist. What they gave me at the time was just simply a series of uh, very badly taken Polaroid snapshots of some of the prototype uh, toys, some of which were, you know, you couldn't really tell uh, like what color they were. There was the castle, 
which looked gray to me in the photos. It actually turned out to be green. Or maybe they weren't painted yeah. on the photos. I don't know. Green skull. But, uh, yeah, green skull. but I did. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's more to it than that. Um, I, I didn't know if I was going to get credit on these things. You know, like yeah. a lot of these things, when I don't get credit, I fill them with little in-jokes. So if you read between the lines, you can tell I wrote them. Yeah, nice. You look at the old gold key stuff before I was getting credit in my names, hieroglyphics, and ba names backwards, and all kinds of stuff like that. So, um, I was then married to a, a woman whose main name was Gray. Yeah. So I, Grayland, the character Grayland in the Dagar comics came from, from her name. Um, so her name was Linda Gray, and that name I used quite a few times as characters. But I saw the skull, and it looked gray to me, so I just called it Gray Skull. He-Man, I thought, was the most ridiculous name I'd ever heard. It reminded me yeah. of the Charles Atlas ads you saw on the back of the comics. Like, take a 98-pound weakling and turn you, you know, it sounded a little gay to me, too, He-Man. Um, so, hey, I like it. So, <laughs> so um, when, uh, when I had to come up with the stories... Uh, not all the characters had names. I made up some of the names. I, not a whole lot. I made up, I think Merman was mine. Uh, How much leeway did they give you? I mean, did they have, like, the names already set for these oh, characters? Oh, they didn't. No, they had He-Man. They had Master of Arms, I guess his name was. Triclops. Uh, uh, they, they didn't have... Uh, uh, Skeletor was not, was not named yet. Um, Eternia came from... I just was trying to think of a name... Uh, that that's because they were using magic, barbarians, mm -hmm. science fiction, futuristic things, something that sounded eternal. So Eternia came up kind of like Fantasia, Eternia. So that was no big deal. That probably came up in about 10 seconds of thinking. Um, I introduced the character, uh, I, I forgot, oh, Tila, the girl. Um, I to make they didn't want to use it. When I, when I submitted the first story and I had this female character, they said, well, little boys aren't going to buy these figures that put little girls in there. I but then they decided, well, they could remold, they could use the same mold for if they used, made several characters out of that, maybe the little girls would buy that. And I originally suggested, because I, I had so much contempt for the name of He-Man, yeah. I said, why don't we call her She-Man? And they didn't like, they didn't have much of a So I needed a name, and I thought of, and I wasn't getting paid a whole lot, so I, I, I wasn't trying to think too hard too deeply, too, yeah. too much. And I remember the show when I was a kid it used to be on called Smiling Ed's Gang. And then that, when Smiling Ed died, it became Andy's Gang with Andy Devine. But they used to run these stories uh, on there about uh, an Indian kid, not American Indian, but an uh, India Indian, um, named Gunga Ram. And he had an elephant named Tila. <laughs> so the name Tila uh, came from that elephant. And uh, and that was basically uh, simple as that. You know, the funny thing is, I was never able to get on the TV show. Uh, it's, again, it's all cronyism, it's just like yeah. your politics here in Chicago. It's all you, they bring all their friends in, you know, yeah. whether they're competent or not. I could never even get anybody on the phone on the um, Master of the Universe TV show, even though some of my friends were story editors on that show. But when I, the funny thing is, before that, um, I would I did some work at Filmation. Filmation's the show that did the Master of the Universe show. Yeah. Master of the Universe, one of the producers was, the act, which I didn't know until about six months ago, the actor who played Gunga Ram on those Indian shows on that TV show. I saw <laughs> the and I probably passed him in the hall many times, and he probably wondered, why is this character named Tila? Yeah. <laughs> the name of my elephant. And I, it's one of those things, I wish I could have known that. that yeah. It's all, all connected. Yeah. Yeah. So, wow. so that's pretty much all the story about Masters of the Universe. There, you know, I just made up a bunch of stories. Uh, 
that fit those formats. We had you asked about the writing scripts and things. Those stories you were limited by. First of all, you had your page, your limited number of pages, and you had your limited number of lines per page of text, and your limited number of characters per line. So every story you wrote had to have exactly the same number of characters and lines per page. Whoa. And I finally figured out a system on how to mathematically set my typewriter to do that and um, and take things out real easily. But it, it was that was very restrictive uh, as as far as creativity was concerned. You had to write your stories to fit yeah. the number of lines and the number of characters yeah. per line and the number of pages. And that is how Orko became what he is yeah. today. <laughs> the end. Question mark. Get that last <laughs> character. <laughs> and now it is over. <laughs> well, we've got about uh, got about ten minutes left here, so uh, want to uh, wrap up uh, last couple questions here. Um, I, my last question, I'll let uh, Steve and Tom ask a, qu- uh, a couple. Do you have any questions about what's going on in comics today, or or, or the state of certain characters that that you enjoyed? Uh, well, I, I'm just curious. Do kids still read comic books? Uh, when I go to a comic book shop, I, I, I never see any kids in there. There's, uh, there's a lot of men in this story. There's a lot of adult like men this, in this story. Yeah. <laughs> As a matter of fact. <laughs> yeah. Some kids do. Yeah, there's still I some mean, When I was a kid, that, that was a big deal. You know? yeah. but I, have I don't think it's like a... It's yeah, I have like friends who are comic book writers and artists who have kids of teenage years or, or younger, and they never read comics. No, it, Are they going to be around after we all... Go away the for, for quite a while, though, there was nothing geared towards the kids, and, and now I think they're starting to do more quality work. That mm-hmm. I know I give to my my nephew back home in Iowa, and he mm-hmm. eats it up. He well, I just it. bought that new Captain Marvel kids book, the Billy oh, the Batson Billy Batson. And that was and it, the arts. Re- no, that's beautiful. a really good book, and it's like, oh yeah, you know, I'd give this to a kid. You know, this is mm-hmm. it's funny because I think a lot of the problem was for a long time stuff that was aimed for kids. People seem to think that kids are stupid. Yeah. So they sometimes they make a mistake of making stuff too, too too bland. Kitty. Yeah, yeah. too kitty. Because when I think when I was a kid, the last thing I would want to read is something that was meant for kids. You know, or I felt right. wasn't oh, yeah. sophisticated. Yeah. Yeah. Was I that, hated yeah. movies where there was a kid lead character or something because yeah. I wanted to be the adult. Yeah. You know, that's yeah. why I identified. But I mean, when I was a kid, we read comics and we folded the covers back and we traded them and we. You know, we did you? But when you were writing comics, were you? I mean, I was a kid when you were writing them, so I was reading what you were doing. Were you ever thinking about that in your mind, like this is for the kids? Because you were like, that's what I was reading when I was younger. Uh, well, when I was working for Gold Key, we had, you know, we, they were heavily censored. They had very yeah. strict rules, and so I was writing there consciously, aiming at their supposed target the audience. The code. But when I wrote for Marvel, I was just pretty much doing the kinds of things I wanted to read. Yeah. You know, and I had a good time writing certain things. I did I though. think you're better served that way. In yeah, way yeah. I, I found out in writing books, not comic books, but books, you know, regular book books, that the kinds of books that always sold the best, that were the most successful, the books I wanted to read, but nobody had ever wrote, written them. So I decided to write them myself. Mm-hmm. Rather than let somebody else write them, maybe do a, a job I, I would think would be inferior or something, you know, and you're reading Angry. Yeah, I think if you're reading something and you get the sense that someone's like writing it to you, like I think you can pick up on that in some way. Like if you feel like you're getting <coughs> pandered to yeah. a little bit, like Tor is written for me. <laughs> <laughs> it should be called. But I'm sure Joe, Joe Kubert. Joe Kubert's Tor. But I'm sure he also. <laughs> I'm sure he also likes doing it as well. Yeah. So that's the key. Oh, this is, you can tell this is Joe's yeah. passion. You really can. You can yeah. tell when it's somebody. It's not just written to be like here. I'm going to sell this to this person. Yeah, it's like I'd Roy Thomas doing a World War II story. You know, oh, you can yeah. tell he really yeah. is into that. 
Yeah, well, now he's doing a lot of the uh, Marvel Illustrated. I think, uh, what, Moby Dick just yeah. finished up yeah. and uh, did Last of the Mohicans. And whenever we talked with him, he said he's, he's really kind of enjoying going back and reading these classics and doing the adaptations. Mm. He gets to write adaptations of them. Yeah. yeah. And he doesn't have to think of a plot. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's already done. Absolutely. Well, we uh, we had mentioned it. Uh, we'd mentioned it earlier. The uh, the documentary, which is uh, is called "I Was a Teenage Movie Maker." Uh, Don uh, Glutz yeah, amateur a book with the same title and uh, a CD soundtrack. Yeah, um, uh, Vince. I, I told Vince B uh, a couple weeks ago that I had ordered the I had ordered this on Amazon. He's oh yeah, that's a great book. It's like no, I ordered the DVD. He's like, there's a DVD. <laughs> he didn't <laughs> know, but he bought it. He got very excited. So you can uh, you can find this on on Amazon. On Amazon, right? Yep, absolutely. Great. And uh, uh, a lot of fun over 12 hours of uh, uh, all of all 41 of your lots of bonus don't watch it all in one sitting or you'll go blind <laughs> it's it's, yeah. it's, a, it's a lot of stuff you'll jump out of the out. car with a bag of gas you'll <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> be jumping out of moving cars now you also have uh, uh, have some current movies uh, Blood Scarab well Blood Scarab is our new real movie it's a it's a sequel to four other movies we made it's a vampire and mummy film and um as soon as I get this all paid off, I owe some money for post-production. If there's any potential investors out there, <laughs> the movie will be out on DVD in a few weeks. It'll be already generating money, um, and we're going to do Werewolf Picture. Okay. Because we're, werewolves are probably going to be hot because of the Wolfman remake yeah. that Universal's doing. That's right. And uh, so that's what we want to do next. All right. And uh, the best place for folks to find out more about you and your projects? Well, i got three websites. One is just my name, DonaldFGlute.com. One is our professional, our film com- production company website, which is FrontlineFilms.com. And then uh, there's also an c- enormous website that a fan did uh, set up based on my amateur movies. It'll take you forever to get through that. And I don't, the, the address is too long to say, but if you just do a Google search, I was a teenage movie maker, Don Glute, it'll yeah, take it'll you to that website. Up. All right, cool. And you actually have a very nice uh, Wikipedia entry. Oh, thanks. I don't know who wrote that. I have no I, idea. I don't, but it was Vince fairly, it's fair, it probably Vince, <laughs> probably Vince. Yeah. Right, you guys have any other questions for Don? Uh, I'm good. Y'all said, yeah, all right. Yeah, well, I tell you what, you you are welcome back anytime that, that you come back to visit okay. uh, the fine November. city of, of Chicago. Absolutely, yeah. We'll we'll yeah. touch base with you uh, before. Sure, we have uh, more to talk about. Um, the film is going to be at the the Portage Theater. 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 We're going to yes. run uh, Dinosaur Valley Girls. First time that was ever shown theatrically. Uh, the new movie Blood Scarab and two, possibly three, of the old amateur films, right. including Spy Smasher vs. the Purple Monster, all four chapters, and uh, Rocket Man Flies Again. Will all there right. be a bar there, though, Don? A bar? Uh, if I can figure a way of making a buck out of it, I. <laughs> 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 nice. <laughs> well, Don, it has been a pleasure. We'll touch base with you whenever you come back into the city. We'll uh, go ahead and wrap this uh, this puppy up. I want to remind people to check out uh, and keep checking out Tom versus the JLA. Um, you can listen to uh, me ramble on in uh, Drunken Rants every Thursday on 11 o'clock comics. Uh, Comfort Queers, are you guys on hiatus again? Are you still churning out uh, episodes? No, I actually, we, know we decided that since everyone else has now finished doing their, their Wizard World Chicago mm-hmm. coverage, you we're going to do yeah. ours. Nice. Perfect. <laughs> so, yeah, it's, it's, ours is going to come out, yeah. Absolutely. Nice. Whenever the buzz has kind of settled down, you got That's a couple we weeks do. before yeah. San Diego. Uh, absolutely. Are you going to be at San Diego uh, Comic Con? No, it's just gotten too big and crazy. I, uh, I don't want to have to shuttle just to get to the con from another city from the hotel. And <laughs> We agree with you. Yeah, and most of the people I know there are either dead now or <laughs> moved away, you know. And it used to be fun years ago with Jack Kirby and Russ Manning, 
Bob Clampett and all those people are gone now. That's what I wish I could have gone. Mm. Yeah, exactly. Um, you can uh, um, you can read a column I'm doing every week at ifanboy.com. It's called Comic Shots. It uh, talks about uh, booze and comic books, two of my favorite subjects. Um, everyone that has left iTunes reviews, really appreciate it. Keep them coming. It's uh, one of the best ways that you can help out us to uh, spread the word. And uh, you can also help out our sponsor, InStockTrades.com. Remember to check out our Book of the Month Club, uh, Black Hole by Charles Burns. We've been teasing that one for about two years now. Have you have you started reading it again, Tom? Uh, not yet. I have it though. I got yeah. the soft cover. And, and you, and, well, it's kind of what I've told some uh, some folks. Are like, have you started reading it? It's like, well, no, because I, I I don't think I'm gonna have to go in and read the whole thing again because it is one of those books that really stuck with me. Yeah. I'll go and kind of hit some of the some of the the high points of it, but that is one that. That really when stuck are with we me. Recording that, that so I know when to read it. I have no. I'll, I'll is that based on the Disney film? No, 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 no. Okay. No, uh, no Ernest Borgnine in this one. You're going to be freaked out most of all. Have you read some have, of the imagery? It's going to oh, frighten really? you. Oh, have you read Black Hole? <laughs> no, I haven't. Read, <laughs> have no. you read Black Hole, Don? No. You would dig this book. It is. Well, I'll show you after after we're done here. So, so check that out. I want to thank everyone for for being here. Stevie D, Mr. Caters, and especially Mr. Glute. It's been a pleasure. Thanks to Mark Beatty for for hosting us here. As always, we will be back again next week with another full length episode. In the meantime, in between time. Thank you, Steve. We'll be everywhere in. And around the comments. <laughs>Views expressed in the interviews or by guests of the show are solely those of the individuals expressing them and may not reflect the opinions of Around Comics. Any reproduction, retransmission, or rebroadcast without the express written consent of Around Comics is strictly prohibited.